0: Welcome to the Femtech Focus podcast, where we have meaningful and provocative conversations with Femtech experts. These academics, doctors, and innovators tell us about the past, present, and future of women's health and wellness. I'm your host, Dr. Brittany Barreto, and today we interview Dr. Jessica Grossman, CEO of Medicines360. Medicines 360 is a nonprofit global women's health pharmaceutical company with a mission to expand access to quality medicines for all women, regardless of their socioeconomic status, insurance coverage, or geographical location. In 2015, Medicines 360 received FDA approval for the first product, a hormonal IUD named Liletta. Liletta is five times less expensive than the competitive products in the public health clinic. Dr. Grossman is a seasoned femtech entrepreneur with a proven track record. Dr. Grossman served as president and founding CEO of Sense for Baby, a maternal fetal monitoring product. She was the founder and president of Gynosonics. An early stage medical device company focused on minimally invasive solutions for women's health. Under her leadership there, they developed an intrauterine ultrasound guided radio frequency ablation device for uterine or, uh, yeah, uterine fibroid tumors. She was also the medical director at Ethicon Endosurgery which is part of Johnson & Johnson. She was co-founder of Materna Medical and is currently a board member of the publicly traded femtech company Dare Biosciences. Needless to say, this woman is a legend in femtech and we were so honored to have her on the show. Enjoy the interview. Hey, Jessica, welcome to the show. Thanks, Brittany. I'm so excited to be here with you. Yeah, we actually got introduced via the uh, Women's Health Innovation Summit, right? That's coming up. That's right, I'm really excited. Uh, I'm on a couple
1: panels for that, so very excited to be part of it. I think women's innovation is uh, long overdue. We need oh. more inventors and
0: entrepreneurs in the space. Yes, I I'll let you know. I have a goal. Next year, I want to be a speaker. This year, I kind of was late to the game. like I kind of came out into the industry around March. People started to hear my name. So I'm hoping next year I'm a speaker. I'm sure you will be if you're if you're this late in the game, you're so prominent.
1: So I, I've been <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: I've been in this game for a, almost two decades.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's actually kind of funny. We launched the podcast in March and I was just doing it like I still am just doing it like on my dining room table. And all of a sudden, then we had like 1000 subscribers. And I was like, damn, I got to like take this more seriously. <laughs> People are actually listening to this thing. <laughs> Well, I'm
1: I'm thrilled to to be here and to uh, hopefully be reaching your thousand subscribers, yeah. and I oh, hope yeah. I can give them a little bit of insight, a little few words of wisdom, definitely, a um, little pandemic cheer. <laughs>
0: yes, yeah, yeah. I I am really excited. So let's start with your background, though, because you know a lot of our listeners are, are want to work in femtech, but most of us didn't say like as kids, we wanted to be femtech leaders, right? And so we want to know where you're from, what did you study and how did you end up here in women's health and wellness?
1: Sure. So um, I'm actually from Boston. Originally, I now live in Northern California. Um, I grew up in an academic physician family. My dad was a doctor. And when I grew up, I always wanted to be a doctor. Uh, I had no idea about business or about entrepreneurship. Um, And so I studied and became a doctor, but when I was in my residency, uh, which was in OB-GYN, I had this sensation that there was more out there for me, that that patient care for me every day, although I really applaud people who do that because it is one of the hardest jobs in the world, but I felt like there was just something else that was going to be out there for me. I really was creative. I had a lot of new ideas. I loved technology. And so um, I pivoted uh, mm. and started, I actually moved out to Silicon Valley area where I am now and um, started working in the medtech industry. Um, and so I was so lucky to be able to marry my love of women's health with uh medical devices mm-hmm. drugs new technologies etc
0: that's awesome did you feel like you found your tribe when you met entrepreneurs compared to when you were in med school
1: well that's a great question Brittany so I I have this um memory when I was in medical school that also I felt like I had met met my tribe uh-huh. I remember there was like you know, I was in one of the anatomy lectures and there was like, you know, I looked down the row and there was like a cool guy sitting there with like a ponytail. This was in the ponytail. Now, (laughs) I guess today it would be a man bun. (laughs) (laughs) And, um, I was like, Oh, medical school. Oh, cool guy. You know? And then he (laughs) opened his backpack and in his backpack, he had like all his neatly lined up like highlighters. Oh and my God. And
0: pens. love it I was first like,
1: sight. yeah, it's like, I
0: I'm, I'm in my, I'm in the right place. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. You know, but I then, felt uh, when I was doing my PhD, I felt, you know, like I related to everyone because we love genetics and science, but I felt like my personality felt very different than the other PhD students. And it wasn't until I found entrepreneurship that I was like, Oh, here's my people, you know? Yeah. Well, so, so
1: I had that moment in medical school, but then, you know, over time I started to feel less and less like this was sort of the right lifetime career path for me. And then when I came out to Silicon Valley, I started meeting a lot of other physicians who were doing interesting and innovative things. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, people who were working in venture capital and who had started companies, And growing up, the only physicians I knew were either, you know, working clinical physicians or they did research. Mm -hmm. I didn't know anyone who who had sort of the the business background or the business aspect. Um, So when I started to meet entrepreneurial physicians, that was sort of also, you know, oh, this is is definitely where I want to be and what I want to be doing.
0: Yes. So you're, you're in Silicon Valley, you're with your, you know, your tribe of doctors that are innovators as well. Um, was there something that happened in between that and uh, being the CEO of Medicines 360? Oh, so many things. <laughs> uh, like the path is Long and varied. Um,
1: yeah, you know, so I got out to Silicon Valley and... I had really been in school almost my whole life, and so I I was very Mm -hmm. motivated and compelled to work and to have jobs and to try a lot of different things. And I, sometimes I get criticism on my resume now that those first couple years when I moved out here, I kind of jumped around a lot, (laughs) but from, from my perspective, and maybe you can relate to this from my perspective, I just wanted to see and do everything I could possibly do. I had never worked in an office before. Mm -hmm. I had never been on a business trip. And so I just went and did anybody, you know, anyone told me to do something, I volunteered to do it. Um, And then, you know, when one job I felt like I had learned a lot in that job, I went, you know, and someone said, hey, why don't you join us to do this at this startup? I went. Um, Yeah, yeah, it was, it was a, it was an interesting, fun time. But eventually I started my own company um, based on a, a technology that I invented for fibroid tumors. So a medical device for fibroid tumors, it's now called the Sonata system. It's FDA approved. And I love seeing all the posts on LinkedIn of, of the procedures that are happening. It's a minimally invasive procedure for women with fibroid tumors. So it's so wonderful to see that have become a reality after so many years. Um, So I did that. And then um, I went and I worked at Johnson and Johnson for a time who I believe is one of the co-sponsors for the innovation summit that we're going to be attending And um, then I got recruited to Southern California and I ran a startup down there called Sense for Baby, which was a um, medical device for high risk pregnancies that also had a digital health component It had an app and had a, you know, kind of a wearable component. So it it married a whole bunch of different technologies, some of which are really hot right now and in a way for women to have fetal heart rate monitoring at home and to have an app to communicate with their physician. Um, and then from there, we actually ended up selling that company, which was great. And then from there, uh, I became the CEO of Medicine 360. So wow. it's a long and varied journey, third time
0: CEO, and uh, it's been amazing. You are a legend. You <laughs> You in my own mind. Yeah, you are. You've worked in women's health and wellness innovation since way before the word femtech was real, right? Absolutely. Yes. Oh my gosh, um, what was it like to to? Would you con- consider the uh, sense for baby a femtech company or more like baby tech? Uh, I would consider it femtech yeah. to 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 be honest, because it was a tool.
1: Um, or a medical device, you know, so a true, you know, 510K approved medical device for women and physicians. It had a lot, it was a very interesting technology. It had a lot of innovative things that would have been really apropos now. It had sort of some of the aspects of Bloom Life and some of the aspects of some mm-hmm. of the other up-and-coming technologies. And it was a way for women to get remote monitoring, to, have, to not be in the hospital,
0: uh, which would have been great during the pandemic. So, yeah, yeah I would have called it femtech. definitely. And so, that's that's a femtech exit. I what I notice in this industry is that we don't, you know, have a list or easily accessible knowledge of who has been successful. And I'm like, I know there are successes, I know there are exits, and we have a megaphone problem we have a <laughs> we have a record of you know what has happened problem in femtech you know and so i'm i'm always trying to carry a list of exits so we're adding that to the list and what about mm-hmm. um genisonics did that exit so
1: genisonics is is still going they're um also here in silicon valley uh run by a amazing CEO who I know. Well, have got a great board of directors. They're on, um, I think they're series E financing. So it's been a, around a long time. I'm hoping that they will
0: exit soon. And, and trust me, I certainly will shout that. from the <laughs> Good. You let us know. <laughs> we will share it too. Oh my gosh. All right. So you're a legend, you know, doctor loves women's health, you know, in the trenches, founding companies, exited a company, um, and then now you're at Medicines 360. So what does Medicines 360 do?
1: Well, that's a, that's a great question, Brittany. And Medicines 360 is, is a bit of a different organization. We're actually a 501c3. Mm-hmm. So we're a nonprofit. Um, we're structured as a medical research organization. But we also have a marketed product and so that makes us very oh. unique. We have a, a women's health product that's on the market. It's now, um, we have a co-marketing license with what is now AbbVie. And the way that Medicine360 got started was a very interesting backstory. We were funded by a large anonymous donor Hmm. who back in 2009, uh, 10 years ago, found huge health inequities in women's health, particularly in reproductive health, Hmm. in contraception. And they found in talking to the family planning community out there and the women's health stakeholders, they found that everyone loved these long-acting and reversible birth-controlled products. Huh, uh-huh. uh, for instance, uh, hormonal IUDs are the number one choice of female ob 2 right? That, hmm. that these products generally are super safe, effective, long-acting, uh, have a great side effect profile. But because they're long-acting, they also can be quite expensive. And, and mm-hmm. if you flash back to 2009, It was before the Affordable Care Act and before Mm -hmm. the no cost sharing for birth control. So, you know, one of the hormonal IUDs back then could could set a woman back hundreds of dollars, if not more, uh, out of pocket. And so what that created was a really inequitable system. Right. So that a woman um, who had insurance, who was well off, et cetera, could access these products and a woman. Who uh, was uninsured, low income, really couldn't. And so we set out to change that. We were funded by an anonymous donor um, to bring to market a hormonal IUD that was effective, safe, long acting, but also affordable. Uh, and yeah. that's really what our mission is.
0: I love that because you know we have a lot of aspiring founders uh, listening to this podcast, and sometimes you know I tell them. It's not necessarily that you have to come up with something brand new, but sometimes it's just a change of business model or you are, you know, changing the product or service to target a different subset of women, whether that's economic or, you know, um, ethnic or, you know, regional, you know. Uh, So that's really, really interesting. Um, Were you capable? Did you do it? Did y'all do it? (laughs) Yeah, we
1: did it. So what we did, I'll I'll tell you the backstory a little bit more because I think it's super interesting. Um, So what we did back in 2009 is we kind of scoured the world. There was only one hormonal IUD approved at that time and really none other that were on the horizon. So we scoured the world looking Mm. for a product in development. We actually found a product That was made in Belgium, Liege, Belgium, Mm -hmm. by uh, a small pharmaceutical company. And they didn't have the resources to bring it to the U.S. Uh, What was required is a large phase three U.S. study Mm -hmm. to get the FDA approval. It's a drug device combination because it has a hormone on it as a part of the product. And so we were able to do that. We started our clinical study by the end of 2009. But again, and to your point of sort of reimagining the business model, what a typical pharma company would do when doing their clinical study is, okay, let's get it done quick. Let's get it done with the usual suspects, I'll say, Uh, Let's design it so that we we kind of get the study done as quickly as possible. We really took a a very thoughtful approach and wanted to make sure that, again, we were thinking about equity and how the clinical study was designed and really thinking about dispelling some of the myths that were out there around contraception. So at that Mm. time, hormonal IUDs were largely only used in women who had had babies before. Mm. So we wanted to make sure that we uh, enrolled a large amount of women who had not ever had children before. Also, there was a myth that uh, women who were overweight were not appropriate for a a Mm. hormonal IUD. So we had large amounts of women who had a high BMI Mm -hmm. Um, And then in general, the only other product on the market had mostly been studied in uh, white women from sort of the the Nordic countries. It was studied in Europe. So we wanted to make sure we had women, all races, all colors, all ethnicities. So that what that resulted in is having a product on market that was really studied in a U.S.-based population, just like all the women
0: out there. And so we got it FDA approved in 2015. So, yeah, wow. success. And was it like astronomically more expensive to do it that way than the regular way? Or did it take longer? No, not not
1: really. I mean, I think, you know, we were, and we still are kind of run, even though we're a nonprofit, we we'll are run like a small startup. So we were able to be fast and nimble. Mm-hmm. Um, we had a lot of clinical trial sites. Our, our study is actually still active. We have um, 29 active clinical trial sites. We're doing this phase three clinical study. Um, the study is actually, we extended it to go out to 10 years to really see how long the hormonal IUD could be effective for. Uh, So it's, it's been, it didn't cost a lot more. I would say maybe a little bit more, but from my standpoint, totally worth it because what we're really about at the end of the day is women's empowerment, women's economic empowerment, decreasing unintended pregnancy. And so being able to increase the amount of women who are able to get a hormonal IUD, if that's their choice mm-hmm. and increase the physician
0: comfort level in prescribing this product mm-hmm. is well worth it. Well, that is quite the mission of a, you know, if we called you a fa- if we called you this fa- small pharmaceutical company, the fact that you were not only trying to get FDA approval in the US, but also changing the behavior and misconceptions of doctors and patients like that is what sounds to me like this huge mission. But if you did it, and it wasn't that much more than a regular, you know, uh, run of the mill trial, I just I gosh, I just wonder why do um, not why do not all drugs go through this, right? Where they make sure that the people they're testing it with in clinical trials are of diverse backgrounds and, you know, that you're also working closely with doctors to educate them about it. I just, you know, am baffled by it. And something in me says, well, maybe it's like that much more expensive and takes that much longer. But you're kind of a case study that, no, as long as you're mindful, you can do it, right? Absolutely.
1: Oh. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think, you know, we're very proud of our clinical trial and the clinical study results that we have. We've had now, I think it's over seven full length manuscripts published and over 20 abstracts published, really talking about um, what this, we've had a rich amount of data. There's over 1700 women enrolled in the trial. And so what does it mean when you study this product in women with high BMI in women that were young, we had young women, older women. So it's really created a rich amount of clinical data that then a healthcare provider can take back and use to counsel their patients.
0: Oh my gosh. Thank you. Thank you so much. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Showing that it can get done. Thank you. Um, and so, you know, what is the big mission right now of Medicines 360? What's your daily, like your biggest goals?
1: Well, so as I said, we're we're continuing this clinical trial. Uh-huh. Um, we've recently gotten really interested in sort of the intersection, especially with the pandemic of the intersection around what are women's health drugs that are essential medicines that maybe are on the drug shortage list that maybe aren't available and US-made? Or are there generic drugs that for whatever reason are very expensive and can Mm. Medicines
0: 360 start to shine a spotlight? What are some examples of essential medicine for women? Well, that's a great
1: question. So some of the examples are some drugs that are used in the hospitals, for instance, drugs that are used on labor and delivery, uh, oxytocin, oh. which or pitocin, which is a essential medicine that's used in um, labor, as well as magnesium sulfate, which is used in preeclampsia. Those would be great examples. Um, so, you know, there's certainly, and I think you know this from your work in FemTech, certainly women's health is often at the, the kind of the bottom of the barrel mm-hmm. of people's interests. And a lot of those drugs go in and out of shortage. They're relatively inexpensive to make and have small margins. And so a lot of the big pharma companies um, don't want to produce them. Yeah. And we see that as a really exciting place for us to really be able to make a difference.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Actually, one thing that we were thinking of uh, doing is just having a, like a page on our website that says, here's what needs updating, you know, and like listing Mm -hmm. the date that something was invented, whether it's a speculum or birth control or whatever, and just being like, if you don't have a new idea here, just take these and they, they need improvement. Right. And so like, that's what I yeah no, That's
1: a great idea.
0: (laughs) There are so many things that could just be need updating y'all, you know? And so what I hear from you is that there's these drugs on the market that it's like, um, we can, someone can produce this. Come on. Like, because you don't, this person over here doesn't care about the profit margins being so small. Like, so, it's not that you guys want to make new drugs. It's that you're spotlighting what could be, you know, really a change, to save women's lives if somebody picked this up, worked on it.
1: Absolutely. Now, I will say, though, we all are also interested in making new oh, drugs. And we okay. have a, um, a bunch of things in contraceptive that we continue to look at. We're very interested in long acting injectables. Um, mm. We're also interested in combination products. So one of the things that we're taking a hard look at is drugs that could be used for both contraception and HIV prevention. Oh. I don't know if you know this, but um, the use of HIV prevention drugs—they're called PrEP. Yeah. Very, very low in women, and they're generally safe, um, and especially. Um, very low utilization in women of color. And so we really want to change that. The other thing that we've been working on, um, and especially during the pandemic, is just also trying to bring forward more education, if Mm -hmm. we can, and Mm -hmm. trying to educate women and healthcare providers about um, where they can get birth control in the pandemic, where they can access care. So many people are losing insurance. So that's another big area. We've done this series of webinars called birth control for all. You can find them on our website, um, where we're just talking about really basic kind of, Hey, what are all of the different methods of birth control? Where can
0: you get them? What if I lost my insurance, et cetera? Absolutely. I love that because Sometimes the most basic questions, I don't know the answers to. And I'm like, dear God, I'm a educated geneticist woman who loves women's health. And I don't know the answer to this. So, you know, I'll give an example is a few years ago, I, you know, realized that I, I, I needed to do like a after sex, like STD check. And I was like, where do people even go for that? Like, should I schedule an OBGYN? appointment like that won't be for another two months and so I found it actually quite difficult to figure out like what am I supposed to like what's the basic answer here how do I get tested and you know I ended up I'm just an Everly well user you know they have the at-home test now that that's what I prefer to use but you know I'm like how does and how do people that are they don't know you know, like what's new and trending yeah. in healthcare? How do they know how to handle this? You know? No, I think that's a great
1: point, and I think part of part of our job and our mission is to try to provide some of those resources. And you know, yeah. a lot of there's a lot of wonderful organizations like Power to Decide, uh-huh. and they're they have a website called Bedsider that has great information. And so, part of it is just trying to point people in the right direction. Yes. I think um, a lot of those telehealth apps now are also offering kind of at-home STI testing. Yeah, and then yeah, a-
0: yeah.
1: another amazing resource that I think you know we shouldn't overlook is, uh, is your local Planned Parenthood, mm-hmm. uh, a local federally qualified health center, a community clinic, right, where you can go in and get same-day testing. Yes. So those are all great resources. But, you know, um, Brittany, you are not alone in not knowing some of the answers to these questions. We also launched
0: this online campaign. It's called Hashtag (gasps) Not Awkward
1: to encourage,
0: have you seen it? I haven't yet, but I'm going to use it. It sounds amazing.
1: Yeah, it's called Hashtag Not Awkward. And we're doing it to encourage positive conversations about birth control and reproductive health. We did this national survey um, in 2019 to be able to try to understand what are the top challenges that women face? And we found that about 40% of women felt uncomfortable talking about their reproductive health and Mm. birth control. Um, We found that about 30% of women were not getting their birth control information from a healthcare provider. And they were only looking at the internet or talking to their friends. And then yeah. we also found that only 14% of women knew about all 18 FDA approved birth control methods. And I got to admit, I mean, I happen to be an OBGYN, but I don't know if I could rattle them off, off yeah. the top of my head, except for the fact that I've done these webinars recently, yeah. but really important for women to know
0: their options. There's so many options. That's right. Yeah. You know, my sister has a terrible habit of not taking her birth control pill every day. And, um, you know, what worked for her was the shot, you know, because Mm -hmm. the daily pill was just not working. And but it took her like a year of continuously missing it to finally convert over to the shot. But I wish that we had, you know, women were... not awkwardly talking about it. Right. More openly. And so maybe it wouldn't have taken so long to convert to something else that worked better for her lifestyle.
1: Right. And I think that that's a great point. And I think a lot of people do default to the birth control pill, which is a, it's a great method. It's safe and effective, but you have to take it every day. (laughs) Right. And for a lot of people, that's not going to be good for them. So we want to make sure that people know that there are these long-acting methods, like the shot, like the IED, like the implant, um, that are highly effective, safe. A lot of them are set it and forget it methods, so you Mm -hmm. don't need to worry about them. But yet, they can be removed. One of the other things that we really made sure to prove with our clinical study, going back to that, is um, return to fertility, right? Because a lot of women mm. say, well, I want to take something, but if I want to get pregnant, I want to be able to, or I don't want to have a lot of hormones in my system, yeah. and how long do they take to wash out? So in our study, we, we really monitored closely uh, both the PK levels, so the blood levels of the hormone in the blood of the women, and then their return to fertility. We found that the return to fertility was extremely rapid, and that at one year out uh, from discontinuing the method, a woman had the same chances of getting pregnant as if she'd never used the method. So wow. that was really great news.
0: You are busting open the myths. <laughs> I <laughs> am. I'm mythbuster. Mythbuster one Oh my gosh, that's amazing. Are you focusing mostly on um, the U.S. women or global women? Oh well, that's a that's a great. Great question. Well, so
1: actually we do both. So uh, our product, Lyletta, is available here in the United States. Mm -hmm. Um, As I mentioned, we do that in a co-marketing partnership now with Avvi. And uh, in the past five years since it's been on the market, um, over half a million units uh, have been utilized But uh, what we're really proud of is about 260,000 of those units are being utilized in low-income clinics. So women who traditionally have not had access to this method um, are now getting access. But we also have rights to the product in um, low- and middle-income countries. And uh, we have a a special project that's called the Avabella Project in Africa because the product name in Africa is Avabella, Um, And we are registered in several countries in Africa, Zambia, Nigeria, Kenya, and Madagascar. And so we've been working in those countries with NGO partners to um, make the method available because this method is generally unknown in many parts of, of, of of low and middle income countries. And, you know, there was a lot of hesitancy of this is a new method. What are women going to think about this? Mm-hmm. Are they going to like it? And we've done some studies on sort of how women react to the product and in country. We found that in Madagascar, for instance, uh, the women, first of all, they love the method. I think the the sort of satisfaction rate uh, is like 96% <laughs> wow. satisfaction rate. And we also found that we were very concerned, you know, are women going to want to adopt this method? And, and and then are we just taking women who were using a copper IUD and just switching them mm-hmm. to horm- a hormonal IUD? What we found, though, is that about 60% of the women who were adopting the hormonal IUD in Madagascar without it would have chosen no method. So, oh, meaning- my
0: gosh.
1: Yeah, so it's a huge deal. We're huge really excited deal. about that. Oh
0: Jessica, yeah.
1: you're changing the world.
0: Oh my God. We're trying. We're <laughs> trying a little bit
1: at a time. We just got um, nominated for this pre Galen award, what? which is sort of uh, what they say. I don't know if it's true, but they say it's like the Nobel Prize of Medicine type award. It's <gasps> very prestigious awards. So we just got nominated for that. Oh my so God. we're really
0: excited. Is there like public voting for that or anything?
1: I don't know. I just posted okay. it on
0: my LinkedIn. So you, you I'm can gonna go, go check it out. It
1: yes. Oh my a good gosh. Question.
0: That's amazing. Do oh a write in
1: campaign.
0: <laughs> wow. This is awesome. But you
1: know, I think, I think one of the things, and this is important, um, is that people are really uncomfortable talking about birth control. It's a, it's a charged mm-hmm. subject, mm-hmm. especially here in the United States. And so I'm kind of, frankly, afraid we're not going to win because nobody's going to want to talk about contraception, oh. right? Is that it's so it's still really taboo, yeah. Brittany, right, yeah. to talk about contraception? Although it's something uh, all women want. I think 98% of of modern women have used contraception at some point in their life.
0: Yeah. Uh.
1: So so you know it's something we need to talk about and not uh, shy away from, and it's something that should be uh, welcomed on both sides of the aisle because, yes. at the end of the day, contraception improves women's health, improves women's education, improves their economic situation, helps women to space babies, creates babies that have better uh, health and economic chances in life. So, this is a nonpartisan issue that, that all women should have access to.
0: You know, our tagline is uh, Improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness. Because mm-hmm. women don't just birth women, right? Like mm-hmm. <laughs> women don't just interact with women or work with women, right? So like when you're improving contraception, contraception for women, you're improving the baby's health, Everyone's kids' health, it. society's right? you're, health. You're
1: improving the community. Yeah. Right?
0: It's, it's, it's a community empowerment tool. Yeah. So yeah, well, let's, let's, amen. Let's sing that song <laughs> together. What are the future goals for Medicines360? Well, um,
1: we're, we're as I said, we're continuing our clinical trial yeah. of Liletta in the mm-hmm. US. We want to expand in more low and middle income countries. But as a nonprofit, you know, our goal is to really be sustainable. We have had um, some wonderful donors over the years. We, mm-hmm. we can always use more donations. People can donate on our website. Um, and even just giving a little bit can help a woman in the low and middle income country. All of our proceeds are uh, put right back into our mission work, education, empowerment, product development. Um, We do have a a couple of cool new product development things that we're working on, none that I can talk too much about. Maybe you'll invite me on in in another couple months Uh, for like a little teaser. You're
0: invited whenever you want to come on (laughs) the show. (laughs) Open invitation. Thank you. Thank you.
1: So, um, and you know, there's many, many countries in Africa. It's, it's a, we have taken the, um, and we also have rights in Asia, but we've taken the stance that we don't want to just donate into countries, other companies, Mm -hmm. as I'm sure, you know, donate products into companies, which is Mm -hmm. great. I I don't want to disparage that, but we want to make sure that there's a long-term self-sustaining plan, rollout plan, training making sure that both women and healthcare providers know so we're registering in each country which takes time and money oh yeah um but you know our goal is to make sure that cost does not stand between any woman and the health and medicines that she needs and i but i would also say that it, we're looking for good ideas if you have a good idea come see us contact us we would love to uh, help you become part of the solution.
0: Wow. Well, I'm going to put you on the spot. I have a question. I was watching this pitch competition last night and there was this company working on something that I was like, damn, that's super cool. So they said that um, there is like this lack of an assay in pharmaceutical companies to test whether or not a drug will be um, damaging to the fetus. So if a woman's taking a, a drug, it could damage you know, her unborn child. And Mm -hmm. so apparently this is, you know, what the pitch said was that pharmaceutical companies have to rely on rabbit and mice studies to know if the drug will damage the fetus, but they are developing this assay essentially that will give you some indicator of whether or not the drug could potentially be harmful for, for a fetus. Do you, do you know anything about that? Like, is that a real issue? (laughs) Because in my mind, I'm like, well, damn, if we are if we like don't give women medicine because we're like on the fence about whether or not it's gonna hurt her unborn child, like women might be missing out on medicine they need, you know? Yeah, no,
1: that's a great point. I don't know a ton about this, probably just enough to be dangerous. <laughs> I think that most of the toxicology studies in mice and rabbits are pretty good mm-hmm. to know if if a drug is is highly toxic to an unborn fetus, it, 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 it comes out right away. I think what we know less about is drugs, and this assay could be great for this, is drugs that aren't necessarily highly toxic, but we just don't know what they do. And could they be yeah. doing something long-term um, that we're unaware of? And I think to your point, yeah, there probably are many pregnant women who are afraid to take any medications. I remember when I was in the clinic, women would say, can I take Tylenol? Can I take ibuprofen? You know? And you had this little like cheat sheet list of all the drugs that were known to be safe in pregnancy. So
0: could be a great thing. Yeah. That's why we need innovation, right? Innovation, y'all innovation. There's so many things, (laughs) you know, when I heard that pitch, I thought, Pharma hasn't figured that assay out yet. They're still relying on animal models to, you know, I come from a scientific background where we have 120 well plates to quickly assay things, you know, um, before you get anywhere near an animal model. So thought that was pretty cool. Well, Jessica, this has been so much fun. Again, open invitation. Come back whenever and all the time. Um, but we do have two last questions that our listeners really love. Uh, the first one is that we have a lot of aspiring entrepreneurs that listen, um, and they're interested in what are the areas in women's health and wellness that still need innovating? So what's an area that you think still really needs a lot of innovating in?
1: Yeah, Brittany, that's a great question. I would say uh, fibroid tumors, mm. endometriosis, huge problems, painful periods, heavy menstrual bleeding. Those are those are just a few. Um, there's really no good uh, treatments for many of those very, very common ailments. Mm -hmm. Um, The other thing, I think women's mental health still also needs, uh, you know, access to potentially telehealth solutions, stress management, uh, I think could all uh, use help. I will say one thing I'm realizing in the pandemic as both a CEO and a working mom who has a 11 year old son that I've picked up, you know, during, uh, during the spring semester in school, I was also, you know, the chief, uh, chief technology officer and the homeschool, you know, homeschooling. Um, I think, you know, even resources to help women kind of manage their careers and their uh domestic duties yes. because you know it's it, uh, it it adds up quickly and you know mm-hmm. there's not enough time in, in a day yes but um i think there's so many areas the other thing i would say to women who have ideas and want to start companies don't give up but make sure you have a business model make sure you think about who's going to buy your product how is it going to get reimbursed what's the exit there are a lot of good ideas out there, but a good idea doesn't mean it's a business, right? So you could have a good idea, but not a business uh, or a business and perhaps a bad idea, who knows? Um, But I think, you know, don't give up, keep iterating on your idea. If you really think it's a good idea, keep iterating, keep talking to people, keep networking and try to find out what the business model is. Who wants this? Who's going to pay for it? What's the need? I'm a big believer in unmet clinical need. Um, And I think that if you can find an unmet clinical need, really define it and define what outcome you're going, hoping to change, uh, then I think you have a a winning ticket.
0: Jessica, I didn't want to say anything during that because we're going to definitely use that as a soundbite because that is the Best advice that I I try to give in different ways every day to founders. You know, how are you gonna make money? Who is gonna buy it? Are you sure they're gonna buy it? Have you asked them? You know. Mm-hmm. So, oh my gosh, thank you for saying that. Reiterating, um, you know, that's that's the basics of of entrepreneurship, and uh, you don't need all the answers up front, y'all. That's why you need mentors and research. Um, but you know, keep these in the back of your mind. These are the pivotal things you got to figure out to to launch your company. Um, Absolutely. Our last question is, what do you think the femtech industry as a whole needs the most right now to be successful?
1: Well, that's a great question, too. I think it needs funding, right? Mm-hmm. It needs more women VCs, more uh, money coming in, larger funds mm-hmm. getting interested, more exits. Um, I I think your, your idea to have an exit list is a great one. Mm -hmm. Um, and I think, you know, femtech and women's health, it's, it's not just contraception. It's not just reproductive health. It's not just, uh, the female genital urinary tract. It it can be cardiovascular. It can be, uh, neurologic Mm -hmm. that, that there's, there's a lot of room Uh, Because women make up 50% of the population. And we also control the household healthcare dollars, Mm -hmm. right? So quite a few things fall under what could be either women's health or femtech.
0: I've been learning so so much about all the things that like disproportionately or differently affect women. Like um, there's this local founder here in Houston. um, It's called Cali, short for Calibrate, and it's for Vertigo. And she's Mm. like, I'm femtech. And I'm like, oh, no, like you're you're health tech, you know. And she's like, well, you know, 85 percent of patients with vertigo are women. I'm like, all right. Are women. That's true. Qualified, (laughs) qualified. Step on in, you know, or uh, another one out in Dallas. It's a medical device for headaches. And she's like, well, we're femtech. I'm like, are you? She's like, yep. 80% 80% of women that go to the hospital for a headache or 80% of patients go to hospital he- for a headache are women. I'm like, come on in. Welcome. <laughs> you know? Yeah. Migraines
1: <laughs> would be a, 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 another great one. Migraines. Yeah. Uh, migraines. The other thing that's a terrible problem is hyperemesis gravidorum women who have a lot of um, nausea and vomiting during pregnancy,
0: uh-huh.
1: no good solution. So that would be a great one too.
0: Yes. Oh my gosh. So many things, so many things. All the way down to, uh, I saw NASA had a challenge to help improve bathrooms in the spacesuit Because apparently what they have right now is like totally inadequate. So let's (laughs) innovate space toilets for vaginas. Come on, let's do it. Uh, All right, I love it, let's Um, do it. Thank you so much for your time today. I really appreciate it. Um, I know we will see each other around, hopefully next year we're on a panel together. At the uh World in Health in Innovation. <laughs> yes.
1: <laughs> well, thanks So Jessica. thank you so much, Brittany. And and I want to just tell your listeners, please check us out on Twitter and Instagram and LinkedIn at Medicine360. You can visit our website, medicine360.org/slash women, to learn about our product and to learn about options and to hear from
0: other women. Perfect. Thank you. Thank you for listening to my interview with Dr. Jessica Grossman, CEO of Medicines360. Listeners, did you know that 19 million women in the United States live in what's called a contraceptive desert? This is where they lack access to the 18 different contraceptive methods the FDA has approved. We are so grateful for the work that Medicines360 is doing because all women's health matters. It doesn't matter where they live. It matters. This episode is sponsored by Dare Biosciences, a publicly traded femtech company. Dare Biosciences is a a biopharmaceutical company committed to the advancement of innovative products for women's health. At Dare, they understand women need and want better therapeutic options in areas ranging from birth control to fertility to sexual and vaginal health. To learn more about Dare's full portfolio of women's health product candidates and mission to deliver differentiated therapies for women, please visit darebioscience.com. All right, Fem fans, if you love our content, then please consider donating to Femtech Focus, which is a nonprofit organization. Your contributions go directly to helping us elevate the Femtech industry. You can also support the show by sharing it with a friend, subscribing, and leaving a positive review. To stay up to date on Femtech news and events, subscribe to our newsletter and join our virtual community at femtechfocus.org. Until next time, keep innovating because improving women's health and wellness improves everyone's health and wellness.